0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Iterative podcast. My name is Inez and today I'm joined by two very familiar faces, Brian and Suken, both of whom are general partners at Iterative and possess a wealth of knowledge and experience with years of running successful startups. Today we'll be discussing the topic of co-founders. Let's get started. So the first question I'd like to ask is what is the difference between a solo founder and a co-founder and is there a need to have a co-founder? Perhaps Suken you can an answer the question first.
1: Sure, I think that you know this can be kind of quite a a uh, long conversation. Um, I think there's quite a bit of differences. And I mean, I think there's obvious differences around just like, look, if you have one person versus two people and like workload. Um, But maybe I can talk a little bit about the stuff that is a little bit less obvious. I think about it in a couple of ways. So one is, is that there's obvious blind spots that people have. I think just as like a, a any individual or person, Uh, nobody's perfect. And so not everybody kind of like, you just don't you don't have all of the strengths necessary for a startup. And so if you have a co-founder, hopefully your strengths are kind of complementary, which will make your weaknesses kind of like a, a little bit weak, less weaknesses, and then it'll accentuate some of the strengths. And you know, I think one thing that Brian and I kind of talk about quite a bit, or at least when we first got together is, I tend to be more, I think, like risk averse on some level. And I like, just want to do a small number of things really well. And I think Brian tends to push a bit more um and so that helps me with my blind spots. So I think blind spots. I want to do a can...
2: lot of things not well at all.
1: <laughs> Let's just say that Brian has a higher tolerance for doing lots of things uh not well <laughs> and maybe a little messier. Maybe a little messier. B-1, do you feel like there's other blind spots that you and I kind of like compliment each other on? Uh,
2: totally. I don't know specifically what they are, but yes,
1: we have tons. So I just think this as like co-founders is something that is important. Um I think you just have more than one person you can, you know, uh, catch each other on a lot of these things. I think being a solo founder is just really lonely, and especially I think in Southeast Asia. So there's just more fragmentation amongst founders in Southeast Asia. Um so I think founders as a whole no less founders and I think the having a co-founder even if you have friends who are founders, you're not talking to them every day and I think it's it can be tough to open up to other founders and so I think it's a, it's it's really helpful to have your own, have a co-founder so that you can talk about it every day and they're in the same position they have the same uh like they're going through some their same challenges you can talk to them all the time um, it's quite a bit different than I think people who work at your company you can't share with people who work at your company in the same way that you share with co-founders um, both because um, it's kind of not appropriate to kind of like share some of the like internal concerns that you have about the company. I think if we're being honest, a lot of times being a co-founder, you're like not sure if the idea works, the company works, what you should be doing. And I think you want to be transparent with people at your company, but you don't want to be to the point where you're like openly talking about how you have doubts about like what the company is doing, right? And so I think having a co-founder just helps. You can kind of have that openness and that safe space to like talk about some of those struggles. Um, so I think lone, the lonely part is really important. I think maybe the other part too, um, which investors think about, is what does a what does a solo founder mean about the founder themselves, just as like an indicator. I think this is something that um, I got asked. I get asked a lot about like how do investors think about solo founders. I think as a founder, your primary job actually is to like convince people of things. So you need to convince investors to give you money, you need to convince people to come work with you, you need to convince users to use your product, and so you spend a lot of time convincing people. Um, and the best founders are really good at this, or at least they develop the skill to be good at this. Um, and sometimes I think investors, when they see a solo founder, especially if they don't have much of a team, they think about, is this person going to be able to convince people to do all of these things if they haven't been able to convince somebody to like start a company with them? Um, or is their network not as strong and networks are really important when you're starting companies. And so there's a version of this that is like as an indicator of like your ability. I think investors think about this a bit. Um, And then maybe a last point is if it's just you, you're going to need to hire senior like people like much earlier just to kind of round out your team. And that's quite challenging. I think if you're an early, early stage start, there's a lot of risk involved. And so if you're looking for somebody who has a high risk tolerance, is really good and kind of a self-starter and those types of things, Um, and has complementary skills, the the group of those people who exist and aren't already starting a company is kind of small. So it's almost like the type of people you're looking for, you kind of want as co-founders anyway, but you're trying to recruit them to kind of come to your company and work at this level. Um, And I think the risk reward is tough. So I just think it's challenging kind of for a lot of these reasons. Um, Bima, do you want to add in on any of those kind of like points?
2: Uh, I mean, I, I think all those points resonate, The the thing I would go back to is like, do you need to have a co-founder? The answer is no. Um, like there's, uh, there's tons of people who are able to get companies off the ground by themselves um I think all we're saying here is like it's it's just very rewarding (laughs) like you will have a better time and you will have more fun if you can find your kind of like perfect co-founder for your company uh but in no way should you I don't know make it kind of like a excuse not to not to start in fact I I feel like that's one of the biggest things that we biggest pieces of advice we give other founders is it's just really hard, right. To like go find a co-founder that like really resonates with you. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of, um, early kind of like first time founders just give up, like the idea just never gets worked on because they don't find a co-founder. And I think that's a wrong way to, uh, I don't know, start a company, like instead what you should be doing is try to get as far as you can. Uh, and then spend, I don't know, 15, 20% of your time, kind of like constantly on the lookout for someone who might be able to compliment you. Uh, and the, the, I don't know, the side effect of doing this is the further along and the more momentum that you build in your company, the easier it is to go find someone who wants to work with you because you already have set goals, set vision, kind of like set, um, I don't know, momentum in your company. Uh, and so, yeah, don't make it like an excuse not to, not to get started if you can't find a co-founder.
1: Maybe one, one other thing I had, I was just thinking about this is definitely like it's, it's not an excuse. I think oftentimes getting started first is the best way to actually find a co-founder. Um, maybe one good way to summarize like the difference between solo founders and co-founders too is I feel like if you're a solo founder, the lows are even lower because you're kind of by yourself. And the highs are like not as high because you're also kind of, you're also by yourself. And so there's a part of it where it's, if you have a co-founder, they can pick you up when it's low, but the highs are higher because you can kind of celebrate with somebody. Um, I feel like I've talked to solo founder friends before and something really good happens and it's like they kind of just celebrate by themselves. Um, so I think just something uh, something else to think about.
2: That's, that's so sad. It's very <laughs> sad. Very sad. <laughs> All
0: right, then, Brian, what are some things one um, should consider prior to bring a co-founder on board? Perhaps questions founders should ask themselves.
2: Yeah, um, let's see. Sika, why don't why don't you get started here, and then I'll fill in the uh, specific questions.
1: Sure. Um, I think it's really all about values. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of tactical things, but the first thing that I would look at is values. The type of values you're looking for is: are you aligned on uh, what you're doing the startup for? So is your motivation for doing a startup the same? Do you have kind of similar opinions on work-life balance? Like for example, I think Brian and I are a little bit masochistic a little bit. We both are like, work-life balance is great, but that doesn't mean 50-50, right? And so we tend to uh, skew quite a bit uh, to work. Um, And I think if either of us were like, oh, I just want to work nine to five, which is totally fine by the way. If people want to make that choice, I think it's just something you want to work out with your co-founder. But I think if one of us were like, I just want to work nine to five. And the other person is like, I want to work 70 hours a week. Uh, You're going to, it's going to cause a lot of problems. And so I think you want to align on some of these like values around why are you doing a startup? Is one of you doing it for the money and the other person wants to make a big impact on the world? That's going to cause a lot of problems. Um, Working style, uh, if one of you wants to work a lot and one of you doesn't, um, that's that's going to be a big difference, especially if somebody's thinking lifestyle business and somebody's thinking venture capital. Risk tolerance is another thing. Um, if you are working with somebody and you feel like you have much more risk tolerance and they have less or vice versa, that's also going to be problematic. Um, that'll come up as you guys are making decisions about how to run a company. Um, so again, uh, Brian and I, maybe Brian t- is, we. I think Brian and I actually have similar risk tolerance, but we have different ways of getting there. Um, and so that kind of makes it okay. But I think if you know, Brian had substantially more risk tolerance and I didn't, um, He would always push to, like, we should hire 100 people. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's too scary. We should hire five people. And then we're just going to fight about that uh, forever. Um, I think these values are really important because most of the uh, conversations and decisions that you end up having and the conflict that results from them are actually just symptomatic of these values. I hate to kind of like make all analogies or metaphors. I can't, I can't ever tell the difference, which one is which, um, two relationships. But I think in this case, it is kind of like a long-term relationship and in a long-term relationship, getting the values right is really important. Um, so I often think about it that way.
2: Yeah, I think I, I don't know. I'll jump in here, uh, to, I think a lot about kind of like there's there's values and there's like working styles, right? Because you're spending so much time with each other. Um, These things tend to, it's the little things that kind of like rub off on each person the wrong way that kind of like gets you into like trouble. Um, and so I don't know if this is useful, right. But, um, interest ways or the, the thing, the questions I like to ask to kind of like vet these things from very, very beginning is, um, I mean, the most critical question here is like, why do you want to build a startup? So, so you can allude to this, it's like impact, technical challenge, you have something to prove, et cetera, et cetera. How you answer that question, I think um, if both people aren't answering it approximately in the same same way, then there's something to be talked about. Uh, A couple other ones that might be helpful. um, How do you unwind or deal with stress? Uh, Because it's just so incredibly stressful (laughs) building a startup. Uh, One, you want to know that uh, the other person can be like, I don't know, stable <laughs> and like deal with stress and like unwind in a good way. Uh, and then it kind of like brings up the whole, uh, like, how do people view, um, work versus kind of like life? Uh, I'll throw in a couple more and then I'll stop. Um, uh, but, um, I think one thing that gives, uh, both people a pretty good signal on, um, actually, no, I'll leave this one out because, uh, we can talk about kind of like complementary skills later. Um. But, uh, some other working style stuff is, um, maybe like what outside of work is really important to you. Uh, and these things aren't, I think, talked about enough. So I don't know, do you, are you dating and you need to spend time getting a girlfriend or a boyfriend? Uh, or I don't know, you need time, like, uh, spending it with your spouse or I don't know, like your you're taking care of a family member who's sick right and so i think having kind of like non-work things and kind of like how you deal with those is is important uh and then there's kind of like just like working style stuff where it's like i don't know inez was just talking about this like a couple minutes ago and so I'll, i'll use it as an example if i give you something to review like half an hour before you need to go to sleep like are you going to review it <laughs> uh, so that I can get feedback immediately for the next day? Or is it okay not to review it and wait for the next day to come up? Uh, because I don't know, we just, it's kind of like the hour to shut off. Right. So I think little things like that just, just matter.
1: Yeah. I think there's we're, like, there's maybe two buckets that we're talking about. There's the value stuff, which is, there's no right or wrong way to kind of like do this. You just need to agree on what is right for, the both of you and how you're going to work together. And then there's the practical side of it of like, you should have complementary skills and, you know, and like working style like and some of these things. And so I think, if I think about it in kind of these two buckets, um, maybe what I'll add to is I think most people under, they undervalue this values part. I think when you start, when you're starting a company, you just get really excited about starting a company. And I think especially, well, this happens in Silicon Valley too, but it happens in Southeast Asia even more. People don't wanna be a solo founder. And so they're tr- they, they wanna say yes to somebody. They like want to have a co-founder. And I think they get excited if somebody is interested in doing what they're doing. And so they tend to skip on a lot of these like fluffy value conversations. And I think that's a mistake. Um, doing it upfront will save you a lot of uh, headache, I think in the future. Um, and so I think this is not talked about enough and people probably don't spend as much time doing it as they probably should. Um, I mean, to be totally transparent, Brian and I did none of this. When we first started, we were like kids and it was like, Brian wants to do a thing that I want to do. And so we should kind of like do it. And so I think we just got lucky, uh, that enough of this aligned. And I mean, we had to kind of work through quite a bit of stuff on our own anyway, but like enough of it aligned where we could kind of do it, um, But I think especially in the beginning for first time founders, they, they probably don't spend enough time talking
2: about this. I don't know. I don't know if this is useful for, for the audience, but I feel like what we did when we were really young is we, we cared about values, but we didn't know exactly how to do it. And so we kind of like talked about it and it wasn't concrete enough for it to be useful. Uh, and so I don't, we don't need to go kind of like deep into this, but, um, there are like mission and value exercises uh where you talk about i don't know what's incredibly important and i think i think the thing that most people like don't do well is they're like i don't know we care about speed right or like we care about i don't know empathy or we care about being mission oriented but then like everyone has a different opinion on what that actually means and so you actually like they're just like not useful at all uh and so i think being specific around like I don't know, how do you make bets? Do you make long-term bets, short-term bets, I don't know, medium-term bets? Or like, I don't know, if something, uh, how do we feel about autonomy versus, um, I don't know, responsibility versus like leadership? Um, just being very specific about what is the value and what are the top values uh, that you guys will operate in uh, is important.
1: Yeah, two things I hear. I often think that val- values that are not controversial are not useful enough. Like, if you're saying that, like, we want to make the world better, it's like, great, everybody is going to agree to that. But it doesn't actually help you make any decisions about stuff, right? Like, the best values are somewhat controversial in that it says no to a whole branch of things, and it says yes to another branch of things. And it's not obvious to people, like, which side they want to be on. So you're taking a stance on something. Um, So I think, you know, when we first started out, when we talked about our values, our values were all the, like, fluffy stuff that no one disagrees with. And then it turns out they were not useful. maybe just a quick story here on like why I decided I wanted to work with Brian initially, which was like, the bar was, I'm sorry, Brian, the bar was very low. Um, I had tried to bring like a bunch of my friends together to work on projects several times over the like year before I met Brian. And so I would like go to friends. I'd like pitch them an idea. They would all say yes. And like, I, I did this like three or four times with like different groups of friends and They all would say yes. And then I'd be like, great, Sunday afternoon, let's meet at this coffee shop and work on this idea. And Sunday afternoon would come around and I would go to the coffee shop and then I would just get text message after text message of people who like bailed, right? Everybody said they wanted to do a startup except for when they needed to sacrifice like an afternoon on a weekend. And I just remember feeling over and over like, I just take this more seriously than everybody else. And everybody says they want to do it, but they don't. When I met Brian... He pitched us this idea, and we the first thing that we started to do was we agreed. We're like, okay, let's work Sunday afternoons. I think it was Sunday afternoons or mornings. I can't remember, Brian. But it was like we were agreed, so we're going to start working together every Sunday afternoon. And I kind of was like, yeah, yeah, sure, let's see. Uh, I've tried to set this up a lot. That Sunday afternoon comes, I show up, and I think I come at like 12. I think we were like, hey, let's have lunch together, and then we'll like work in the afternoon. So I show up at 12. Brian and his brother are, like, already there and, like, set up. Like, computers out. Like, it's clear they've been, like, working for a while. And I go to my brother and I'm like, hey, Suan, uh, am I, like, late? I thought we said 12. He's like, you're not late. They just came two hours early because they were excited. And I just remember being like, okay, like, these are my people. Like, I they are as serious and excited about this as I am as serious and excited about it. And, like, showed up every weekend, right? Every weekend we all showed up. And we got like earlier and earlier and, you know, we didn't talk about a lot of important stuff, but I think that key part to me was like, Brian and his brother take this as seriously as I take it. And that's really important. Um, So I think to me, I was like, I want to work with them because they take it seriously. Like that was it initially. And, you know, we should have had lots of other conversations about stuff, but to me, that was such a key point that uh, it made me kind of like, want to keep doing it. I don't know if you remember that at all.
2: I totally don't remember it, but okay. it's also I was going to say it's it's helpful just like not having friends to hang out with on the, on the weekend. So <laughs> it turned out turned out fine.
1: By the way, Brian is is somebody who at one point was like, I don't understand why people have friends if they're not useful.
0: <laughs>
2: I still believe still believe it. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. A utilitarian perspective to friendships. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that we have uh, gone to know your inception story how you guys met and eventually become became co-founders we could perhaps get to the central question at hand which is how to find a co-founder um what are the steps entrepreneurs should take to find the right co-founder and potential avenues and platforms through which they can explore that like like networking platforms matchmaking sites perhaps brian you'd like to take this question first
2: uh sure um i feel like finding a co-founder is very much like dating and so ck would have way better Favorite stories here, (laughs) but I will start. I will start and you can jump in. (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, So I think when you're early in your career, the easiest way to find a co founder is just look for people who you have worked with before, right? Uh, So typically, if you've, I don't know, if you've done a project in college or if you've done, I don't know, side side volunteer projects, right, you're always just looking at other people and you're like, oh, Who do I like enjoy working with? Um, I think this is actually a pretty good approach, right? Because uh, it's, I don't know. Okay. So you can can push back on me on this one, but in your early years, it's more important to have people who you enjoy hanging out with and working with and kind of like achieving something than it is to have complimentary skills. Cause I don't know, you hang out, you tend to hang out with friends who are very much like you. uh, And so I would kind of like optimize for that um and I think once you kind of like start growing your career you can kind of like get you 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 just have a bigger circle right so you have your your friends of friends you have kind of like your other friends uh who are friends of some other friends and then at some point in your career you'll have like enough of a network where you um start essentially just like hiring for these people (laughs) and so you're like okay cool I'm looking for like this very specific skill set and so you kind of like run a process, uh, a co founder dating type of process to to find someone there. So I don't know. I'll stop there. So you can, kind I of feel like you have more structure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I,
1: I don't know about that, but I think it's maybe the way I think about it is there's like best case scenarios, but if you don't have the best case scenarios, you have to get increasingly kind of further out, right? So I think Brian is describing maybe best case scenario. Like if it's somebody you've worked with in the past, or I mean, there's a lot of startup stories around people who met in college best case scenario, right? Um, and I tend to prefer people that I worked with over friends because I think that relationship is just different. Brian and I were not friends before we started working together, right? We're like sort of friends now, but like we weren't when we first started. And I think that working relationship is kind of like, I'd rather I'd rather start a company with somebody I worked with than uh, a friend. Um, I think you, you that's the best place to start, right? So if you don't have people who, you've worked with before and that kind of stuff, then you're gonna move out. But one hack that you can kind of do is go to places where there's a higher likelihood of people who wanna start companies. And I think this is a lot of the reason why people out of school go work at startups. Like if you wanna start a startup, the other people who work at a startup are more likely to wanna start a company. Um, Brian and I actually know each other because he went to go work for Zillow um, in the kind of very early days. And he actually hired my brother. Uh, or recruited him. I don't know, you weren't his manager, but like you brought him in and then they wanted to start a company together. And so on some level, it's like, if you go work at these early stage startups, you'll meet other people. So if you feel like you don't have a lot of people that you know that want to start startups, go work at a startup. I think it's like an easy hack to kind of get in. Let's say that you don't do that and you really want to start a company now and you don't have time to do that. I think then you start going out. So you start doing like friends of friends. So maybe not people that you know, but other people that have worked with before. Um, And I think the common question people ask when they are looking for these referrals is, hey, is there anybody you know that like wants to start a startup or would start a startup? And the answer is almost like always no, right? People just, it's not common for these to have these conversations. Um, The question that I like best is who is the best person you've ever worked with at a company? Or who's the like three best people that you've worked with at a company? Um, And when they say who those names are, I I think people will have those names kind of off the top of their head. I then start working on like, OK, what are they doing now? Um, and like start talking to them. And then I, try to get intro- I would try to get introductions to them and then convince them that you that you guys should do something together. Um, this works even better if you've already started to Brian's kind of earlier point around like starting stuff. Um, but if you don't know the people yourself, I would go kind of one connection out. Um, and I would ask for the best people that they've worked with and then try to convince those people if that doesn't work then i think there's this like broader set of founder dating programs and this kind of stuff and look the further you get out the like more volume you're gonna have to go through and your hit rate kind of like plummets right um uh to to add context to brian's making fun of me about the dating thing is um it's the same as like dating things right it's like if i'm introduced through a friend or i meet somebody who's a friend of a friend like there's a higher there's a higher likelihood that we're going to like get along typically, right? If I use a dating app, I can manufacture dates, but the hit rate is like single digit percentage, right? Like you're just going to go through a lot and it's going to be the same in founder dating. Um, And I also think that in, again, similar to dating apps, similar to these founder dating programs, you're going to need to spend more time vetting the people. You don't really know them, right? Um, If it's a friend of a friend or, you know, even a friend, you have some context for them and you kind of like know who they are and this kind of stuff. Um, but if you just meet somebody in these programs, you you really have no idea who they are. And so you need to kind of spend more time assessing them. Um, but I think about it in these buckets. Like, do you know them? First First degree connections, secondary connections, and then there's like, you know, no degree connections, I guess. Um, so I think about it in these ways.
2: Can I spend, I don't know, a bit more time on the like, I think it's really useful if you have built momentum already again. Right. So <clears throat> like, it's much easier to go to someone and be like, I'm working on credit cards for the underserved. Right. Or like I'm working on, I don't know, uh, saving the plan of use, I don't know, using like this recycling solution, uh, and being like, and just start talking about like the thing that you're trying to do the problem that you're solving in the world. And I think that kind of like tends to, uh, it gives you a better signal on whether that person wants to I don't know, spend their life trying to do what you're doing than to go to people and being like, I want to start a company. <laughs> Let's see if we can work well together. Um, and so, yeah, just, just get started. And I think kind of like, it's, it's much easier to, to find people that way.
1: Just to add on to that part, I think it's even better if you like have some traction, right? So uh, I think maybe one topic that uh, people were listening to this podcast, oftentimes it is a quote unquote business person who is like, looking for a technical co-founder, this is like a very common kind of occurrence. Um, And one way to increase your chances of getting somebody really good is like doing some of the uh, initial uh, work to get traction. Um, So, you know, just because you're not technical, there's so many no-code solutions out there now, you can start running tests, like build a landing page for your idea, like and talk about it, run ads to it, like there's a lot of validation you can do. And the likelihood that you are able to get somebody really good having not started something is pretty low if you have an idea and you can talk about it okay maybe it goes up a little bit but that's at some point if you have like several hundred signups for the idea already then i think your chances like shoot up quite a bit right so i mean imagine if i'm like you know pitching uh whoever's in the audience i'm like hey you want to start a startup and they're like what's the idea and i'm like i have no idea okay you're not going to want to join that if i'm like I have this idea to do this recycling thing you're like okay maybe that's kind of interesting but like still a lot of risk i don't know if that's a good idea whatever and if i say hey i'm going to start this i i started this recycling thing i've already signed up 20 buildings to like use this recycling process here's the next couple of things that i'm like building here's how i got those users that i think shows a lot of initiative um and sorry to say this for all the like business founders out there there's like a lot of them trying to start companies and I think if your thing is like, hey, I just need an engineer and this will be a like billion dollar idea, like it's the wrong pitch. Like every engineer hears that pitch. The, the one, the business people who I think are really valuable are the ones that are like, I can do all this stuff. Let me show you. Um, it reminds me of a story that Moses from, Moses uh, is the founder of Zendit and he came and talked to our batch and he shared this story about how he found uh, his co-founders. Um, Moses got his MBA at Berkeley and he's a business guy. And he basically was like, crap. I don't want to be this like business guy who is always trying to find technical co-founders. So what he did is he went to hackathons, because there's a lot of engineers that go to hackathons. And he went around to the best people at the hackathon, and he said, OK, you should join my team. I'm going to show you how good I And by the way, uh, the hack for hackathons is that it's not actually about what you build at all. Like, hackathons are like not actually about that at all. It's just how good you can pitch. And so Moses went to him and said, look, These things are not actually about how well you can build stuff. It's about how well you can pitch. Let me show you two things. One, I will get all the best people on my team at this hackathon. Two, I will pitch the best idea, and we're going to win the hackathon on the back of that. Let me show you. So he went to the hackathon, and he's just so persuasive. He convinced all of the best people to work on the hackathon. And then he wins the hackathon because he has the best pitch. And I think it's showing that the technical co-founders like, look, I have, I can, I provide a lot of value. You're going to want to start stuff with me. Um, and I thought that was just such a clever, like thoughtful way of doing it. Uh, and obviously Zendit is like, you know, very successful now. Um, but I always just thought that that's such a good story of like how you can differentiate yourself from other people and like showing people the, like what you bring to the table.
0: Now that we've spoken about how to find co-founders, Perhaps we can move on to how should co founders maintain successful relationships with one another?
2: I think, I don't know. I don't, okay, I'll say things. I don't know if you can agree. <laughs> I think uh, you, I, I actually think it's really important for co founders to be like friends. Uh, a lot of times, I, I don't know, you can take the, the, um, you can definitely take the reverse opinion, right? Where it's like, you only need complementary skills. It's a professional relationship. Uh, You just need to help each other, et cetera. But like, especially in the early startup, like you're going to go through so much shit together. Uh, A lot of times it's not about your abilities. It's about, I don't know, picking each other up when when you're at like the lowest lows. And so uh, I would just think about it as any friendship. Like there's no secret. There's like, how do you maintain your... your friendships, you hang out with each other, right? You uh, support each other during your lows. Uh, you do things that other you like. Know the person intimately. You will, uh, I don't know, bring them dinner sometimes when they <laughs> when they're like struggling. And so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really bad at being friends. But I think the way to think about co-founder relationships is to think about how do you maintain your friend. It's, it's so
1: clear Bima just like doesn't like have a lot of friends. And so he's just like intellectualizing what friends actually do. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, bring, bring yourself dinner. That's what friends do,
2: right? Um, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know.
1: Um, but I, but I, think, I think Brian's right here. I think and maybe I would say it in a different way. And actually, this is something that Brian said to me. And so I'm just parroting it back. But you need enough of a friendship or whatever you call it. But you need to be able to like you kind of root for the other person, right? Like you care about them like doing well and that ends up being really important. Um, And if you don't like, like if you are working with somebody and you're like, I don't really care how, I don't really care if this person is successful. I just need to like extract this value from them. You're, it's not going to last very long because I think there's just going to be times when as co-founders, you're pushed to your limits and you kind of need to help each other out. And if you're just purely thinking about it from a transactional standpoint, like you're, you're gonna, you're gonna just think you're like, I've gotten everything I need out of this person. Like this is the limit for them. And you're not going to kind of help pick them up and this kind of stuff. So I think being friends helps with that um you know i played a lot of sports growing up which again is another thing that bima just is like i don't understand why there's any value to playing sports but the one thing that i think is maybe valuable to playing sports is having a co-founder is like i think people use this idea of like family and stuff like it's overused it's not like being a family but is like being on a team right and when you're on a team with other people in a sport you need them to kind of do well and you're like rooting for them to do well so that the team does well. And I think that's really important. Um, and so again, like if you if it's just a transactional kind of relationship, I, I just don't think it's going to last very long. Um, so, you know, I think this like rooting for each other thing, I think is really important.
0: What are some other concrete actionables that co-founders can take to maintain this relationship? I don't know one thing you guys do quite often is your foundation. Your weekly meetings, right?
2: Yeah. You know, as you didn't like, you didn't like the dinner, the like get them dinner every so often.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm that's kidding, a, I'm kidding. That's I'm kidding. My you know.
2: I, I do have, I do have a. I don't know if this
1: fits into this bucket, but uh, there, there is a concrete story when we were, we were launching our first startup. Uh, we stayed up all night, and we all finished our parts except for my brother, who had kind of the most complicated part, and so he had to code all through the night. And we were all done, and so we're, we're literally just sitting behind my brother's computer and being like, "You done yet? Are you done yet?" And he's like, "This is not helping." And we're like, "Okay, it's probably not helping." And then Bima goes, "Is there anything I can do to help?" And I think my brother, as a joke, was like, "I need to do my laundry, otherwise I have no clothes tomorrow. Do you want to help me do my laundry?" And Bima was like, just shot up, and he was like, "I can do that." And he literally did my brother's laundry like that night to like help. Um, and I feel like that's not something that I mean. I don't think part of being a co-founder is doing the other person's laundry. That is that is not the advice I'm giving, but I think there's a part of that which is like my brother and Brian were friends, and they thought of themselves as friends. Is that's like, and he was just helping out in that case. If you were thinking about it purely transactional, I think Brian like would not have done that, right? And so I think there's just lots of stories around like being friends that kind of like fit this.
2: Yeah, I think Ignaz is looking for the like weekly founder meeting. Okay, answer. Okay.
1: <laughs> So, Bima, when did, we, when did we start doing this? The founder, like, meeting thing. And Decide, actually, it was from Decide, right? Mike used to do this with us. Yeah. So, I think one of the things that, um, uh, and you know, we should give, maybe maybe we should give Mike Fridgen, uh, who is the CEO of our first company, some credit here. Um, he had a weekly lunch, I think it was weekly lunch, uh, with uh, all of the founders, and we would go out to lunch, and we'd get out of the office, and we had kind of more honest conversations about how the company was doing and feeling. And it was the space, it was like a safe space to talk about it. And it was something that we carried on at Weave and we do this at Iterative. Um, it's setting aside time to kind of like check in with everybody on how they feel things are going, what's kind of frustrating, what isn't. And I think it's investing in that relationship and setting aside time to kind of do that. Um I hear from a lot of other co-founders sometimes where you know, you get really busy. Sometimes it's like, ah, I'm really busy. I don't want to like talk to Bima about how I feel. Um, and I think that's a mistake. You're just punting it down the road. And eventually this is going to all come up. So talking about it in those moments, I think are um, helpful. So just maybe to break this down for people. So Brian and I have a weekly meeting where it's just the two of us. And you know, if we had more co-founders, we would do it with them too. And you know, Brian and I are remote now, so this is mainly over Zoom. But if you're if you're actually living in the same place, I recommend getting out of the office. I think there's something invaluable about just context switching and getting out of the office. Um, and you also want to be in a place where you can talk privately. So you don't want to worry about like, oh, somebody overhears this or like whatever. So typically get out of the office. Um, and we cover kind of like a couple things. So often it's like, you know, Brian and I can divvy up different parts of the company. So he's responsible for this, I'm responsible for this. And part of it is actually just communication. So, like, you know, most of the time it's like I trust Brian to kind of like do the parts of, uh, be responsible for the part that he is working on. And, but I also, you also want to hear about it, right? And so, okay, Brian will tell me about what's going on in that, what he's worried about, what's kind of going well. He'll do that. I'll do the same thing with the other part. Um, and then you kind of get feedback back. Um, And then typically, there is also this part where we're talking about, like, how do we feel like things are going? Like, do we think things are going well? Do we think they're not going well? Are we going fast enough? How do we go faster? And we typically keep a notion. And as you know, this, because we do this for all of our meetings, but we have a notion document that is just for those meetings, too. And we put topics in there that we want to, like, discuss. And oftentimes, those topics are like, you know, some of it is tactical, but a lot of it is just like, longer bigger picture feeling stuff right where it's like are we going fast enough are we going slow enough should we be doing more of this like should we bring i don't know should we like i don't know iterative cases like should we have another general partner should we be investing more in this country should we be doing that you know and so these are sometimes longer term things that you don't talk about on a day-to-day kind of, like stand-up area and task but like are kind of in the back of your head right and if you don't have a place to kind of vocalize them then i think um they just kind of sit there and nod at you. Um, Pima, anything you would add to these
2: meetings? Mm, no, I don't think so. I think the <clears throat> the takeaway should be, um, I think it's really important to create a safe space for kind of yeah. like non work related stuff, and then these these kind of like founder level meetings, right, tend to work the best when they're not uh, when you're more talking about how you feel about things. Yeah than like the actual things that you're doing yourselves or like that you're kind of like responsible for. And so just make, make space every week uh, for going through these topics. Maybe that's something that's really, I don't know if
1: it's surprising to the people who listen to this podcast, but so much of this podcast is actually about values and like feelings and soft stuff. And I think just as a general piece, uh, I think startup culture just undervalues this. I think this is changing quite a bit. Um, you know, the number of founders that I know in San Francisco with like executive coaches or C therapists themselves is like increased dramatically, uh, in the last like two years. Um, and I think people are just finding that the better you are at this stuff, it's like a real competitive advantage. So even if you are just like a super practical person who doesn't care about some of these emotions and some of this kind of stuff where you, you, you tend to not, um, be someone who thinks about this a lot. Um, even then, I think this is like a real competitive advantage uh, just to being kind of like a better founder and then you know by extension kind of being a more successful startup.
0: On the flip side of uh, maintaining a successful and healthy uh, relationship with each other's co-founders, how can one deal with co-founders that are not pulling their weight?
1: I guess it depends on what you consider kind of not pulling your weight. I think there is sometimes I mean the conflict typically comes from, uh i don't know i'm working i think i think i'm working a lot harder than brian and i and i say that kind of deliberately like i think because it can be hard to tell sometimes right and so you get these narratives in your head that like you are but maybe you're not and like these kind of stuff especially when you're working remotely like i don't know i have no idea when brian starts work we don't start work at the same time i don't see him coming into the like you don't have any of these cues right so a lot of it is like you think um so that's like one bucket of just like do you feel like you're kind of working the same speed um, and then maybe another bucket for some of these uh, conflicts is also just like, do you agree on kind of like the direction of the company? So, but maybe like for your question, we can stick to the the pulling weight part. Um, I think a couple things here. One is have clear targets. This is what the this is the way that Brian and I kind of do this the most. You agree on the targets. So Brian has targets, I have targets. We agree on those targets, and then it's our responsibility to. Hit those targets and give updates on the targets. I don't particularly care how much time Brian spends on whatever, as long as the targets are kind of hit and vice versa. So making it as concrete as possible so it removes this whole like narrative thing, right, um, I think is really important. Um, And then the updates so that you feel like the other person is kind of... I, I mean, I primarily write updates just so that people kind of know what's going on so that they can trust them kind of like doing the right stuff um so i think these concrete uh targets are really important and kind of like a plan around it so brian knows what's happening and we're kind of going um so i think the targets is one piece um i think the introspective part is another piece like just recognizing that like you the other person not pulling their weight is a feeling that is not like a concrete fact potentially right um it is you know It's something that you're feeling about the other person so i think just knowing that and trying to dig into that a little bit about like where that comes from Bima, do you want to jump in do you want to add something Mm,
2: i mean i'll just repeat what siket says i don't i don't think i have anything like (laughs) incredibly insightful here right like uh the thing to remember again is like you feel like someone else is not uh contributing their weight but like a lot of stuff is going on And so making sure there are clear KPIs and goals uh, that you're trying to hit every single week. And then when you, when that person doesn't hit it, you have a conversation. When you don't hit your goals, you have a conversation. Uh, And I think that's going to get you a long way. And then if you, if you don't agree on the goal, like why don't you agree on the goal? I think the, the uh, most practical thing I think I can kind of like give advice on here is the most important thing is to keep talking. Like yeah. you just want to create yeah. moments where you have you can have these discussions, uh, because if you don't, then I don't know. Like if you are not talking, then both people will just have their like subjective feeling about the situation, and nothing gets resolved, and so you don't you don't get to move forward. So yeah, have clear goals, uh, mostly because they are goal posts where you have to talk to your co-founders.
1: And maybe I'll just add on to the part that's really the, the talking part is really important the longer you go without talking, the longer you, the narrative sits in your head, right? So if you I mean, if you just think about this very practically, if you communicate and talk, ideally you have the same view about what's going on because you just talked about it, right? And then the longer that, that goes on without you thinking about that, the more that there's a chance for those views to diverge because you haven't talked about it and it's just like going further and further away. So I think it's like, you, you should talk about it. You hopefully are kind of understand each other and you're on the same page. as as time goes on, those views diverge. And then you want to talk about it to close it again. And the longer you let it go, the more it diverges and the worse worse place you can be. So I think that's why we try to do founder meetings on like a weekly basis too. So you can kind of close that gap, consistently close the gap, right? Um, Maybe one other part that is tough practically, but really important uh, is like intellectual honesty. I think there's a part of this where like you want to be open about what's going on. So like, if I'm not hitting my goals, for example, like I want to be able to like call out, like say to Brian, be like, Hey, I'm not hitting these goals. Here's what's going on. And like, talk about it. Right. If, if I'm like, it's obvious I'm not hitting my goals. And I'm kind of like making a bunch of excuses or like, Oh, these goals are dumb. Like there's a part of it now where it's like, we're intellectually kind of not honest. And if you get into that place, then it becomes kind of very dangerous because I think then it's hard for Brian to like, talk to me about it. Cause I'm kind of not being honest about kind of like what's going on. Um, and so I think this kind of goes both ways, but I think this that level of honesty, I think is really important.
0: I mean, as trite as it sounds, the cornerstone of a healthy co-found relationship, not just co-found relationships, but relationships in general, just communication, right? And uh, establishing expectations and being in a daily conversation about that. And to end off the session, I would like to talk about remote working. And as we've seen, long distance relationships and collaborations are increasingly the mainstay, um, given the realities of COVID-19. Your relationships as general partners at Erdiv and this podcast is very much cases in point. As such, how can co-founders manage their long distance relationships and overcome potential challenges of launching and running a startup when they are working across global borders?
1: Bima, you start. You
2: have not you start with this one. (laughs) Okay, okay, I'll start. I feel like, I feel like my answer here is, uh, everyone's still working on this. Right. So there's kind of like no clear, uh, I don't know if there's no clear answers, but like a lot of stuff is being tried. Um, I think there are like fundamental things that, uh, that you should just keep doing, right. It's like, uh, whether I'm in a room with Zouken or not, we're talking every single day <laughs> and we're talking about like hard we're, we're saying we're talking about things that are hard not just kind of like what we're trying to do on a day-to-day basis um and so i don't know, going back to your your thing Nez right it's like communication is key uh on all these things I actually think the remote um the remote uh situation is kind of cool, right? Because now all of a sudden my, the number of people who I can be co-founders with is like much higher, the number of people who I can now hire as executives or, um, as members of my team, it's just, I don't know. It's very cool. Uh, it's, it's very cool for me and Sue can now, right. Because we can work with companies who are in Indonesia, uh, in like Vietnam. And then we can, yeah, Bangladesh. Right. And we can hook up with, uh, uh, very experienced founders who have done it in China or in, uh, in San Francisco. And so I think there's a lot of pros, uh, to everything being remote. Um, but yeah, don't, don't skip out on, uh, communicating and always talking to your founders. Um,
1: yeah, maybe what I would add on here is that I think Brian and I are in kind of a special case, but we, cause we've been working together for like a decade plus, and then we started kind of working remotely. So I think there's like a lot of inbuilt kind of like relationship already. Um. I think the old adage used to be, you want to be in the same place. I definitely in Silicon Valley, you know, before COVID, it was like, you want co-founders, you want them to be in the same place, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I think that's changing quite a bit after COVID. Um, I think there's a lot more people, even in within Silicon Valley, that is like, hey, this remote thing is is actually kind of useful and good. I think Southeast Asia was a little bit earlier on the remote mm-hmm. piece primarily because you often had companies that needed to operate in multiple countries. And in the US, it was like, you just operate this one country. So I think Southeast Asia actually is like earlier on this. Um, The flip side of it, though, is that if you are doing a remote, you need to spend more energy and more time on communication. So I think the positive is, yes, you can start more companies with people and you can work with more people now. Maybe downside, I, I don't know if I would call it a downside so much, but it's just something to be aware of, is that you need to invest time into this communication part and some of these like meetings and that kind of thing. Um, so maybe it's just like that's just the adjustment that needs to be made, um, and you need to be kind of quite thoughtful about that. But you know, better and better tools are being made every day to kind of adjust to this, so I think it's kind of an exciting time. Uh,
0: is there anything else b- both of you would like to add before we conclude the session?
2: I mean, I think my, I don't know, my one parting thought here is it's just so much more fun if you can find yeah. like people that you work well with. Uh, and the, the thing that comes to mind for me all the time is if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. Uh, and so it's not only with your co-founders, it's like with the entire team that you'll end up building, um, it it's cool to work with other people that you enjoy working with trust, etc., because you can just achieve so much more
1: yeah you know that that definitely resonates with me if i'm being honest uh and maybe maybe it's because i like studied math in school i really like working alone and i think like i it just my my predisposition is like i just want to be left alone in like a room and i just want to work by myself and honestly that's probably like still the case but the reality is You're just not going to be able to do very much by yourself. It's kind of impossible, right? Like I just, I just not, I can't do that much. And so the trick then is like, okay, can I find people that I like, like working with and, you know, Brian, I can like sort of tolerate. I'd still rather be by myself, but I can kind of tolerate him now. So like we can kind of do this. Um, And even for me, Since I'm kind of not somebody who, like, loves working with, like, a bunch of these people, like, Brian is really good at that. And so even from a complimentary level, like, he gets, he shields me from a lot of that, which is, like, awesome. So I can kind of, like, I I feel like often I get the best of both worlds. Like, I get to kind of, like, do this, like, insular work by myself. But then I also get the scale of kind of, like, working with all of these, like, people and stuff. Um, So I think you just you just need to be able to work with people in order to kind of like get far, uh, regardless of kind of like what your your predisposition is.
0: Yeah, so Brian, again, thank you so much for sharing. I'm sure the viewers and listeners will well appreciate your 1st insights and tips as co-founders yourselves. So thanks everyone for listening and see you next time.